0: The real treasure is the friends we make along the way.
1: Also, gold!
0: It's Schmanners!
1: Hello, Internet. I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And
0: I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. And you're listening to Schmanners. It's extraordinary etiquette. For
1: ordinary occasions. Hello, my dove. Hello, dear. How are you?
0: I'm all right. Just had some... It's, a, it's 11 a.m. Uh-huh. And uh, I just ate breakfast. <laughs> okay.
1: Can I tell you, I can't remember if I've had breakfast or not. I don't think I did.
0: Well, I mean, our mornings... They, they've they gotten a little complicated.
1: Yeah, and add to that ADD, and it's just like, <laughs> did I, was that yesterday? No, was it today? Huh, was it? Where am I?
0: Well, so, just because I've been up since like five doesn't mean that I had time to eat breakfast. No, so. absolutely
1: not. Absolutely not. You are, are, I
0: brunched, is what I did, I just brunched.
1: You're caring for another wife? Uh, As well as... Outside my body. Yeah.
0: Not inside my body.
1: No, God, no. (laughs) Never again. (laughs) Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy.
0: Uh, In case you didn't know, pregnancy is hard.
1: It's hard. It's a difficult thing.
0: There is a treasure at the end. The prize. The prize is worth it. I I love my two beautiful prizes.
1: What about me? My beautiful prize? You
0: are, but I didn't make you.
1: You made me into the man I am today. Oh. I mean you didn't. I made myself into the man I am today, inspired by you. Okay. Yeah, it's not your job that. to fix me. You're I right. was a diamond in the rough but only I could shave off. I don't know how diamonds I don't work. I
0: <laughs> <laughs> polished. You have Crackle? to polish no, it. No, I
1: think you have to cut stuff off of it. I'm pretty sure. And right, then polish it the shape cuz the diamond's not naturally that shape. Right. None of this is important. We're talking about treasure hunting. We are. Um, and I will say that this is uh, a subject, I mean, listen, I think pretty much, I would guess the majority of children grow up fascinated by this idea, right? Absolutely. That you would, uh, especially, like, how it often happens in, like, storybooks, uh, I, I would, I think the two, like, main storylines are kid gets a map, Mm -hmm. like, in, uh, Treasure Island, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Or mm -hmm. kid stumbles upon... Something like in a cave or in the woods, like uh, Aladdin. Right? Okay, okay. I think that those are the two things that, like, every kid is like. In a moment, everything changes, and now we're on an adventure. Oh, that's Ugh.
0: that's a very good uh, movie preview voice. Hey, thank
1: you. In a world <laughs> <laughs> where adventure lurks around every corner.
0: Uh, side note: that is the same voice that they used for um, the Pride and Prejudice one. Pride and Prejudice movie trailer In the world
1: I'm... with Pride and Prejudice,
0: <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, what?" Because I was watching it on what was it on Peacock, I think. But like,
1: that that really isn't a trailer for that.
0: There is really a trailer for Will
1: these two ever get along? <laughs>
0: the 2009 uh, Matthew McFadden and uh, Kira Knightley Pride and Prejudice, which I love, but while. While it was loading, it comes in, in a world where Jane Austen wrote, and I'm like, Uh, what?
1: Where status above all. marriage is the end goal.
0: It was weird. It was very, very weird. Anyway.
1: So, but the thing is, and the reason I wanted to do this episode is even though it fascinated me as a kid and still to some degree, I mean, I still love shows like Mysteries at the Museum and, you know, uh, Destination Unknown, I think it's called. Like, I honestly have never done any research into the idea of like, Are there actual, like, pirate treasure maps? And I mean, listen, I'm going to say up front, I recognize that there are things like archaeology and grave robbing and, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of, like, cultural theft. There's a lot of – I know that there is legitimate treasure hunting in the form of, like, archaeological finds and digs. I know that there's a lot of, like, bad – uh, treasure hunting where it's like stealing stuff from other cultures and from sacred sites and that kind of thing. Right.
0: James Acaster has a really great clip on his standup. It is uh, not safe for work, not safe for children. But if you're interested, you can look it up.
1: Basically about charging money for like people who aren't English to come to English museums to see, see the stuff that England stole from their <laughs> countries.
0: It's very good. Uh, true and funny. Okay. So, let's start with the pirate angle.
1: Okay. Okay. Can I tell you something I've always thought about when it comes to like, pirates burying treasure? Sure. What do they do when they need to buy things? They sailed to their island, dug it up, took out three gold coins, sailed back. Come on, man. That is not a practical solution.
0: Um, in reality, Okay. when pirates took over an, another ship, commandeered a ship, they divided... The goods amongst the crew. It, right. was, it was pretty democratic in that way.
1: We talked before about pirates, right? A Where they bit. had like a pretty strong code, not yeah. at all the way we think about it.
0: Right. Um, but truth be told, hmm? they were more after merchant ships um, and they weren't really after gold and doubloons. It was usually spices and food and cloth and, you know, things that you actually can use at sea. And if at any point they actually they did get gold or money, pretty much spent it immediately at the next port, you know, on booze and women. But the thing that we have to really think for the buried treasure myth is Captain Kidd.
1: Oh, really? See, I was going to guess Robert Louis Stevenson. but
0: Uh, I mean, he
1: wrote about it, but
0: Captain Kidd is the one who, like, started it off as like, this is what pirates do. Shortly before he was going to be tried for piracy, he asked a friend named John Gardner if he could bury a treasure chest somewhere on John Gardner's island. Okay. Kid's hope was that the stash would be a bargaining chip to push along his release, right?
1: Oh, I'll tell you where the treasure is if you let me out. Exactly.
0: Okay. And that didn't that didn't work at all. Oh, man. Um because he was a uh, um, Executed and his body was humiliated. As oh a, boy,
1: oh yeah, it's like a don't be a pirate, exactly okay. as a
0: warning and deterrent.
1: Oh. Um,
0: and so Gardener, right afterwards, was like, "Here's the treasure." Ah, <laughs> oh, man. Okay, and uh, probably to avoid also being executed, right?
1: Yes. No, definitely. Yeah, it makes sense.
0: And it was declared property of the English crown,
1: but that was like a buried treasure thing but it wasn't like a common practice right so then you have to think that things like treasure island and such is why it's so like bb is obsessed with like the idea of like treasure maps and Mm -hmm. making maps to things i mean it's all over kids shows exactly like that's what pirates do right okay
0: um so the actual history of treasure hunting is more like you said kind of like archaeological geniuses think indiana jones but not Really, like, adventurous.
1: Okay. Indiana Jones is cool. But I would say Indiana Jones is probably to archaeology as James Bond is to actual spying. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um,
0: In reality, what would happen is after um, a war people would go in and kind of like, you know, the spoils of war. After you've already defeated the enemy, you take their stuff.
1: And this is where a lot of like the that uh, cultural stealing stuff is, right? Exactly. Yeah. Oh, man, this is rampant. I mean, places like Egypt, of course, got hit by this very hard. Exactly. But, like Asian countries, there was so much Japanese like artwork and culture just s- straight up stolen, just straight up taken back to like England and America and places like that.
0: Um exactly, right. So we we can't <laughs> we can't really talk about treasure until we talk about quote how people found treasure. Um they were basically the colonizers, right? As as we talked about. Say you're a soldier in the British Empire who's, you know, hanging out in Egypt likely fighting with Napoleon, who was Mm -hmm. also really big into stealing stuff from all over the world, you decide to explore a little bit. You could take a walk one night in the Valley of the Kings, see something shiny sticking around and be like, yep, I'll take that. And you would, you know, give it to your family for their curio cabinet. You would never know that it was a comb, maybe used by Queen Nefertiti. Okay. right so when this quote treasure hunting turns really into finders keepers not great a lot of the history dies with it which yeah. is which is sad
1: that this also happened a lot not just uh, for ancient cultures but this also happened a lot whenever there was like uh, a big uprising against uh royalty mm-hmm. where then they like people would then just like loot the houses, right? Exactly. So then they're taking artwork and furniture and stuff. And I'm trying to remember what it was, but there was like a set of furniture from some famous location, some like palace. And then like some of it like ended up in like prop storage for like a theater, right? Mm-hmm. It was just like all these different things where you're going through, maybe it was the Iolani it was, it was the Aolani Palace. Oh, where it was just yeah. like all of this furniture that had been uh, just taken by the people who took over Hawaii and like were like, "Hey, honey, this is a nice chair. We'll put it in our parlor and it like got kind of passed around a bunch, mm-hmm. and now they're finding all of this like royal furniture that was just like in somebody's u haul you know exactly locker.
0: exactly. um there are a few famous people um, who turned finders keepers into actual archaeology okay um William Stukely. Okay, investigated the prehistoric monuments of Stonehenge and Avebury, Avebury, Avebury. There it is. And he was one of the first people known to have attempted to date Stonehenge and you know try and explain where. But it you know came you from. try
1: to flirt with Stonehenge and you just get nothing back. And you're like, so do you want to see a movie and Stonehenge is like, I can't move from this spot, my like, dude. I'm giant stones, and it just is never gonna work.
0: King Charles VI of Naples was also a big proponent of this new historical study. Um, Thanks to his commands, Pompeii and the surrounding area were excavated, leading to the discovery of, you know, the preserved human forms, ancient frescoes, even like entire towns.
1: This is the thing, right? I I don't want to make it sound, I feel like now at this point, I think archaeology is great. To a point, you know what I mean. That kind of thing, where it's just like we're excavating Pompeii and discovering mm-hmm. what happened. Yeah, great. But the idea of just like, well, now they take it all back with me, and right, like, like I said, I mean, if you're really
0: playing the like the finders keepers model, that is is the the object itself and not the history, right? right? Okay, um, that is sometimes called when a person does that, they become an. Uh, antiquarian right so it's just the stuff and the archaeology revolves around the story right so we want to know why what it is what was used for what it
1: teaches us exactly basically.
0: exactly um johan yakim winkelman okay um, is also someone who deserves to be mentioned in this modern archaeology He is known to be the first person to start empirically categorizing art and architecture into specifically detailed artistic periods. Nice. Um, It was based on his detailed empirical examinations of artifacts, and he was able to create several theories about ancient societies.
1: Okay, that's a good one. I like that one.
0: Right. Um, so with all of these new artifacts and with the uh, emphasis on historical teaching, curio cabinets grew into more of museums, okay. right, where people would display their treasures. Or
1: people go to see them. Exactly. hmm <laughs>
0: That really tickled me. Okay, Okay. More and more wealthy people began to pour serious funding into archaeological pursuits. And we have one person in particular we'd like to talk about for that. That's a man named Heinrich Schleiman.
1: Okay. It's hard for me not to say, okay, I've now realized three times in a row, when you say a name that I couldn't possibly pronounce on my (laughs) own. Because I don't want to be like, good job, babe. But that's really what I'm doing. like,
0: okay. I'm doing the best I can. Um, and for that, we uh, have a couple of quotes from Leslie Fitton of the British Museum. She has a little Curator's Corner episode on YouTube that is very cool. Um, it paints a thorough and frankly honest portrait of the original like treasure hunter idea. So Heinrich Schleiman was an eccentric German businessman who is credited today with being a pioneer in the field of archaeology. He came from a poor background, but his, according to his own biographical account, he was already in love from a very young age with the idea of, like, Troy and the um, Homeric, Homer and stuff like that, right? mm -hmm. He says he even had a children's book that illustrated some of the scenes. And he said to his father as a boy, one day, I must find Troy.
1: One day, I will time travel, Papa.
0: (laughs) Uh, which is harder than you think because for two centuries there was a massive controversy about whether or not the homers fabled city of troy had really existed or not um was it just invented by homer or was it truly a real place to find um scholars debated this like to death um but finally by 1868 the general consensus was that the city of Troy would have been located somewhere in the northwest corner of Turkey.
1: Okay. So? Schleiman went there.
0: He went there, dug around for a few days, and found nothing.
1: Aw, oh, man.
0: Uh, it was then... Well, get him next time, <laughs> Uh Then he went to a mound, which is called Hisarlok. Mm. I didn't do a good job on that one.
1: Okay, do it again. Take another run up to it.
0: He sarlik. He okay. sarlik.
1: Okay? Yes. Mm. That's it. Oh, let me check with the judges. Yep, that's correct.
0: <laughs> okay. So Fitton says here, she says that many of the people who are famous for these great discoveries are not acting solely by themselves, right? So Schleiman, for example, was already working off of other archaeological research. And the only reason he went to this mound was because of a local resident who owned the land there, right? So he had connections and Mm -hmm. he wasn't working alone. There was an amateur archaeologist who believed to have found something very promising but Schlitman had something this man didn't have
1: was it money oh
0: okay he had money um
1: I was gonna say a shovel
0: no <laughs> he probably already had a shovel okay
1: well you know you say amateur right maybe, I mean maybe he was right. just scooting his foot around
0: And it turns out that this hill they were on was a mound built up of debris and Homer's Troy was at like the bottom of the mound. And it like...
1: So Schleiman found it?
0: He did, but he basically obliterated the landscape. Oh,
1: man. Did he go back and rub it in his dad's face though? Like, hey dad, remember I told you I found Troy? I did. That's why I didn't clean my room when I was six years old, dad.
0: Mm, Yeah.
1: That probably happened, right?
0: Probably. Okay. So he found a fortified citadel. Was this really Troy? I mean, he thought so. He definitely did. Um, But the real discovery was the treasure of Piram.
1: Okay. Hey, I want to hear more about this. But first, how about the real treasure? Thank you notes for our sponsors. Nice. We're sponsored in part this week by Function of Beauty. Listen, I love my hair. I love your hair, too. Well, thank you very much. But I think anyone who knows me has known uh, for a long time that I value its appearance, Mm -hmm. uh, that I care for it like a child.
0: You keep it in in good condition. Thank you. For sure.
1: And, you know, I'm always looking for new and better ways to do that. Uh, And one of the ways I found that I absolutely love is Function of Beauty. You love that custom stuff. Oh, you know I do. You know I love personalized stuff. And Function of Beauty is the world leader in customizable beauty, offering precise formulations for your hair-specific needs. You take a quick but thorough quiz to tell them a little about your hair type, hair goals, and color and fragrance preferences, even. There are over 54 trillion possible formulations. Every ingredient function of beauty uses is vegan and cruelty free and they never use sulfates or parabens. You can go completely silicon free if you want to. With my hair, I wanted something that was like good for a dry scalp,
0: mm-hmm. something
1: that kept my hair nice and soft, but worked with dyed hair. So right. my hair is purple. And you know I love that like minty smell. Mm. And a little bit of tingle in there. So never buy off the shelf just to be disappointed ever again. Go to functionofbeauty.com schmanners to take your quiz and save 20% off your first order. That applies to their full range of customized hair, skin, and body products. Go to functionofbeauty.com schmanners to let them know you heard about it from our show and to get 20% off your order functionofbeauty.com slash Schmanners.
0: Schmanners is also sponsored in part by Sunbasket. We may occasionally skip breakfast, but we never skip dinner.
1: Um, no, because Bibi would let us know. You <laughs> would be like, "Hey, food." <laughs> Bibi never skips breakfast. Let's be clear. Yes, Teresa and I skip breakfast. Our kids don't. Uh, okay,
0: and nobody skips dinner. And with Sun Baskets fresh and ready meals, you can get them for just eight ninety nine. Those are those are the fresh and ready ones. But you can also do your subscription. Let's talk a little bit about the fresh and ready ones. Yes, so please. The, their chefs have won Michelin awards and James Beard awards. So you can take the night off and have them cook for you uh you can try delicious meals that are already prepped and ready to heat up in as little as six minutes like butter chicken with basmati rice pilaf beef chili with cheddar and greek yogurt creamy mushroom penne with baby spinach and almonds oh my
1: goodness yeah my mouth is positively watering how can i get these my love
0: Sunbasket is offering $35 off your order when you go right now to sunbasket.com slash schmanners and enter the promo code schmanners at checkout. One more time, sunbasket.com slash schmanners and enter the promo code schmanners at checkout for $35 off your order. Not just a meal subscription service, but meals ready to eat in six minutes or less sunbasket.com slash schmanners and enter the promo code schmanners hi i'm joe firestone and i'm manolo moreno and we host after game show a podcast where listeners submit games and we play them regardless of quality with a dozen listeners from around the world we've had folks call in from as far as sweden south africa and the philippines here's an example This is a game we call Zooey Deschanel, where you turn a celebrity's name into an animal pun. You have an example, Manola?
1: Brad Gorilla Pit.
0: Oh, that's a pun on Gorilla Pit? Yep. I don't know. That's that's... Brad Pitt. Oh, okay. That's a high-quality game that you could expect. Dr. Game Show has new episodes every other Wednesday on Maximum Fun.
1: Check us out, please. Okay, you were going to tell me about a treasure. The
0: treasure. The treasure.
1: Tell me about a treasure.
0: Um, it included gold, silver, bronze, all the good stuff. Elaborate jewelry.
1: Uh huh. Yeah. 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 Um,
0: which Schleiman wanted to refer to as the jewels of Helen. Sure. Of course. That's a great story, right?
1: Oh man, <laughs> that's not you know the thing that comes out to that as an and it was.
0: <laughs>
1: Wee- Wee- okay.
0: Uh, it was a little fuzzy. Oh, boy. right Because the city te- seemed too small, the pottery a little too basic, the link between the location and Greece was fuzzy, and Schleiman had a little bit of a reputation for stretching the truth. Okay. His account is practically dripping with drama about sure. how he hacked the artifacts out of the ground using a knife and handed them to his wife standing beside him, ready to cradle the treasures in her shawl. Uh, so...
1: I mean, he definitely found stuff, right?
0: Sure. Yes. But he probably didn't actually even, like, dig it up himself. Oh. He funded it, for sure. But just remember audience and Travis discovered is something that people say when they're lying.
1: (laughs) Okay. Yeah. grain of salt. Okay. Got it.
0: All right. So there's another really like famous treasure hunt. I'd love to talk about. Okay. And we touched on Egypt. Yes. A little bit before. I want to tell you about the discovery of King Tut's tomb. Of
1: Tutankhamen. This is one when I was a kid that any kind of like Egyptology, as I believe it was Mm -hmm, called. I I was fascinated by, but in, uh, I would say, classic Travis fashion, not quite fascinated enough by to actually like learn the real stuff about it. Yeah, Just fascinated enough to be like, ah, cool. (laughs) I like this. Hey, do you want to read about it and like study how they actually did it? No, thank you.
0: Right. Um. So 1922 is when the tomb was discovered. Discovered meaning like re-uncovered. Right. Uh, Because it's
1: not like an element that someone is like discovering exists in the world. At some point, people knew the tomb was there and then it was lost to history and then it was found again. Sure, it
0: wasn't quite lost to history. There was a little bit of uh, we shouldn't go in there because of the Pharaoh's curse. Well, yeah, of course. Right? So uh, the idea of the curse is that anyone who stole from these sacred burial sites of the Pharaohs would be deeply punished, right? Yes. Um,
1: Not just deeply punished, like legally. Like metaphysically. Exactly. Right.
0: So that kept a lot of people, you know, people who weren't like grave robbers
1: mm-hmm. and
0: probably didn't care, kept a lot of people away for right. a long time. Um, but then enter Howard Carter. Similar backstory to uh, Schleiman. He loved the old tombs and he was known to, quote, sleep in them at night,
1: which I think is weird. All right, dude.
0: Um, Because why? Why do that?
1: I don't know. I mean, probably quiet. Quiet as a tomb. That's a thing, right? Yeah. I mean, I, listen, one time when I was working in a haunted house, I fell asleep in the that coffin. That is
0: true. You really enjoyed that.
1: I mean, I didn't enjoy waking up in it. Uh-huh. But the, the sleep was great.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm they had already really been like looking in it mm-hmm. looking in that general area um for about 5 years uh when it was fully discovered beneath the tomb of Ramses the 6th uh
1: one of the best Ramses if you ask me a lot of people like Ramses 5 but i think the series really came into its own with Ramses 6 with the love story i think Ramses Four is good, but it, really, it's not a standalone movie. You need to see Ramesses Three if you're going to get Ramesses Four. You know what I mean? You get it. I stopped listening. I know. I know you did. I was just trying to reel you back in. This
0: tomb was packed. There were three rooms in all with an annex, uh, the burial chamber, and the treasury. So this had lain?
1: Laid. 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 Laid
0: undisturbed for nearly 3,000 years.
1: Yeah. That's a lot um, of years.
0: So there were probably, in this first room, 800 individual pieces of treasure, like statues and animal figures and tons of gold.
1: Yeah. The good stuff.
0: So when the word of this discovery broke, like, the entire world lost their heads about it.
1: This is when everybody kind of went, e- Egypt, bonkers. Yes, right? exactly. Is this when, because there's a Sawbones episode about mummies and people mm-hmm. who ate mummies... To be healthy, right?
0: Right. Uh, this is towards the tail end of that.
1: Okay. Hey, everybody, check out that episode. It's bonkers. Okay. Indeed. There was honey. It's a whole thing. Okay. <laughs>
0: um. So this is really where treasure hunting, where the rubber hits the road. Yeah, because this
1: is around when archaeology becomes like pop culture, like in. Mo- I, I I think what time is it? this? Was like nineteen twenties, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it a little bit in our uh, Agatha Christie episode, right? Right. Where she went over to Egypt and fell in love with it and started featuring that in a lot of the Poirot novels. And there was a lot of this, like, everybody being like, oh, let's check out Egypt. They got all that history there. And it became a whole thing.
0: Right. Um, And this is where that finders-keepers model really, really, like I said, where the rubber hits the road. Uh I can't think of another idiom.
1: Where the... Nope, that's it. Nope,
0: that's it. Um, And so the British Museum is probably where the most, I would say, iconic figures have placed all of their their artifacts here. But there are a lot of, especially like newly coming into their own countries that want their stuff back. And and the British Museum is a big target.
1: This is... Once again, just to refer back to it, the James A. Castor bit is great. Right. <laughs> I love it. Okay. And,
0: and not all of the artifacts at the British Museum are stolen, you know, finders keepers style. And there's plenty that have been uh, legally obtained with no ownership disputes. So don't at
1: them. And I'm sure there's also, like, if you go to your local museum and there's a collection there, I mean, there's a possibility it was donated by the Kind of Arts on Loan. From the country is there, like, you know, there there's a cultural exchange kind mm-hmm. of happening here. Yeah. Um, so I'm not saying everything in a museum is stolen, but it definitely is an ongoing issue today. Right. It's not like, yeah, we sorted it out by the 60s. It's fine now.
0: Right. I mean, the problem is bigger than, you know, the, the British Museum, that although it is kind of like the poster child. Yeah. Um, several... I'm sure there's also
1: a problem with a lot of stuff in museums is, like, on loan from private collectors mm-hmm. and if the private collectors have an artifact in their collection that they're loaning to them the museum can't just like then give it back i'm just saying it's probably very complicated it but is at it's... the end of the day it would be better if these countries got their stuff back if they wanted that
0: right okay like i said we're not trying to ruin museums for you no
1: just contextualize yes
0: contextualize these you know discoveries of the colonizers basically
1: I have a lot of questions. You yeah, want to do a couple of questions? Yeah, yes. because when we were talking about this episode, right, we always want to tie it into like a modern day actionable thing, right? Mm-hmm. And so, when I thought of treasure hunting in both a modern and like universally applicable way, mm-hmm. I immediately thought of geocaching. Uh, for those who don't know. Geocaching is a really fun hobby that I uh, was turned on to by Justin. Right, And at this point, like our family has done in various forms. Mm -hmm. And basically what it is is somebody goes out and hides a capsule of varying size. They record the coordinates to it. Mm -hmm. Then they upload it uh to a you know site that like collects them or an app that collects them uh with some like clues or hints or riddles or whatever and then you using a GPS or the GPS on your phone or anything like that can go hunt for it.
0: Right. And this actually um started on May second, two thousand because that is the exact date that the accuracy of GPS technology suddenly improved exponentially. Yeah.
1: Um, like within feet, you know, yeah. at this point. So, and within each of them, mm-hmm. uh, at the very least, I mean, there are some that are like mega small. But uh, usually you will find at least a little log in them that you can write, like your name and date it was found. And a lot of like the apps and websites and stuff also have where you can input that digitally, Mm -hmm. that kind of track who has gone through and all that. stuff. this is something Justin and Griffin and I used to do on tour, and we probably will again once we start touring. It's like if we stop at like a rest area, there's almost always a geocache at a rest area. Mm -hmm. So while like everyone's stretching their legs, we'll go for like a five-minute hunt to find a geocache and write our names in it. Right. Um, so we got a lot of questions. And really,
0: I would say that the only rule is take some stuff, leave some well, stuff. Well, yeah.
1: So that's the other thing. Oh, uh, and put
0: it back where you found for, it.
1: Yes. I would say the number one rule is return the geocache to where you found it. The number two rule is there are uh, in slightly larger capsules that are big enough to, like, hold items. There's kind of an item exchange mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, I'm going to take this, you know, uh, two-headed quarter and I'm going to leave this, you know, little green chain army something. man. Right. Something like that. Right. Um And what I did when I was doing this on a regular basis is I would keep the things I collected and then turn exchange those mm-hmm. into other. So I was kind of swapping items between. Yeah, geoteshers. Just kind of
0: move them around the world.
1: So, now that you know all of that, let's do the questions. Okay. This is from Sarah. A thing I like to use as a swap for geocaching is jewelry and I, that I have bought for a couple of dollars online, including a few cubic zirconia rings. My sister is worried that someone will open a geocache with their partner and think it's a proposal and that the resulting confusion could cause an issue in their relationship. Uh, I think it would be super cool to find actual treasure in a geocache. Who's right? I think that this is a very specific circumstance that yes. definitely could happen happen
0: indeed it it doesn't it's not that far-fetched but i think that any two people that are considering getting married or are in a relationship there's got to be the trust where like no i didn't i didn't put that in there Yeah, yeah i would
1: say the bigger issue is one of like if i opened a geocache and there is inside what appears to be a diamond ring i would be really thrown off right i just think it's It's a little nicer than what I expect to find in a Mm -hmm. geocache. It might create a feeling of like imbalance of like, well, there's a ring in here. What is going on? Right. Not to say you can't, but like, it just isn't what I would expect to find. I don't know.
0: What if instead of something that looks like a real diamond ring, maybe you put in something that looks like you got it from a gumball machine? Right.
1: Toy rings is much more fun. I don't know. I think it would just throw me off, throw me for a loop if I found any kind of anything nice looking. Yeah,
0: it 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 might it might stain the stain that hunt for me. I'd be kind of like, this is uncomfortable.
1: This is from at my evening coat. This is not an anti-geocaching take, but my moral quandary with it is, isn't it just strategic littering? Ah. Um. So the thing about geocaching, when done right. Um, is it should be a very durable container... Like, just putting, like, a plain cardboard box isn't going to do it, right? Mm-hmm. That's not going to stand up to the elements. Uh, the smallest ones, the ones that I normally see as the smaller ones, are, like, uh, those, like, film canisters, right. right, that have been, like, even further, like, weatherproofed with, like, duct tape or something along those lines. But then there are also, like, actual geocaching capsules you can get that are, like, weather- weatherproofed. So if that's the case, I would argue that it is not because – Uh, you want to put them somewhere unobtrusive. Mm -hmm. You want to put them somewhere that is also uh, not obtrusive to the wildlife or to the local flora and fauna. So like I wouldn't hide a geocache in like a bird's nest, right? I wouldn't hide it in a warren. And the third reason I would say that I would not consider it strategic littering is there is a record of where these things are, right? So like unlike littering where you're just throwing stuff higgledy-piggledy all about, right. this is like, well, if we wanted to go on a day's notice, clean up our geocaches, we could easily do so.
0: Right, because they're all tagged. Right. Um, that's one of the things that you have to do. You have to register the log um, of of the actual site. And I think that if, like you said, if today the bulletin went out, that we're not gonna do this anymore. You could you could go and find every single one is right. the idea.
1: Right. Um, this is from uh, Michaela. Hi, if you come across a cache that is in really rough shape and appears to that the original folks who placed it haven't been active for a while, is it appropriate to bring a replacement container or is that overstepping? I mean, in my in my opinion, I think it's great. Like, if, if it is in disrepair, mm-hmm. you are not changing the location of it. Exactly. You are leaving the log, the items in it or whatever. You're just replacing the container so it can last longer. I think that that is lovely. I think that that is a I think that's a, a great idea.
0: I mean, especially if, like, maybe the things in it have become too numerous right. or whatever. Uh, leave it better than you found it. That's right. great.
1: Uh, this is from Kirby Crackle. Uh, I love geocaching, but what stops me from doing it more is this. How do you, A, avoid looking shifty while searching for the cache, uh, and B, let go of the anxiety of thinking you look shifty the whole time? It is amazing how connected those two (laughs) are, Kirby, because here's the thing. If you weren't worried about it, I guarantee you look less shifty. Sometimes it is in trying not to look shifty that you do. Um, I could tell you, that the thing is, is people go, you know, to parks and, but you know, public locations looking for stuff all the time. You know, maybe they're looking for rocks for their rock collection or they're looking for, I don't know.
0: Wildflowers. Right. Or, or
1: Civil War, you know, buckshot or something. Right.
0: That would be very hard
1: to find. Yeah. Not buckshot. You know what I mean? What shot? Like you know, casings? Let, let, sure. But I would also think that. As long as you know why you're there and if someone's like, hey, what are you doing? And you can be like, oh, I'm participating in geocaching. It's a real-life treasure hunt, blah, 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 right? But, like, I remember one time. That's it.
0: The worst thing that they can do is tell you to leave. And then you do that.
1: Uh, And that's the thing, right? You're not doing – as long as you're on public, like, property, right, and and you're not trespassing. That's
0: right. Don't put these things in people's yards and stuff where you have to trespass. You're doing fine,
1: you know? Um, let's see. Okay, this is from Courtney. One last one here. If you go geocaching, I know you're supposed to leave something if you take something and sign the log. But what if the thing you take is, like, exponentially better than anything you could leave? Do you not take it? Um, no. I, I think that you—the The purpose is the exchange, Yeah, right?
0: somebody put it there, so it, it's fair game to trade.
1: It's about— The connection, right? It's about knowing I'm going to leave something that someone else will then take with them. So in some small part, our paths are now connected, right? It's not about a bartering system in which everything is fair. Mm -hmm. It is more about I had this and now you have it and you can feel connected to me. Right. right. Because geocaching can often be a, a solitary or even small group experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's more about knowing like someone else was here where I am and someone else will be where I am. And I am part of a bigger network.
0: Right. right? Um, so if you would like to enjoy some geocaching, here's what you do. You can go register online at geocaching.com. Then you have to download the geocaching app, or you can get yourself even a handheld GPS device. Uh Um, And then people who hide caches, post coordinates that you have to find to get the treasure, right? So once you have your tools, use the hide and seek a cache page on the website to put in your zip code. And that'll give you a big list of potential treasure sites that you can pick from. Um, Once you have a particular geocache that you'd like to look for, make sure you log the coordinates into your GPS device, right? So Because this is like the warmer, colder business, right? right? Or you
1: can use your phone if you have it there. But you can't always assume if you're in the middle of the woods that you'll have service.
0: Yeah. Uh, Log the coordinates and, you know go
1: take a pen mm-hmm. or marker or something with you and some like very small items like
0: and some wear sturdy shoes because a right. lot of these geocaches are hidden in you know the bush
1: correct Um, Oh, one more thing. I didn't think about this till now, but you could also get a metal detector. They're fairly inexpensive these days. My grandfather trained me to use one when I was little. I've used one a couple times as an adult. One time he found like a real diamond ring on the beach that was worth like thousands of dollars. It can be fun. Mm -hmm. But I want to tell you about a real life, current, ongoing treasure hunt that is not geocaching. All right. There is a book. It was published, I believe, in the 60s. Uh, maybe the 80s, but it's called The Secret, and it's not that one. It's a different one. And so Byron Priest published a book of poems and illustrations, and within both are hidden clues to the locations of 12 treasure boxes hidden across the U.S. and Canada. And in each box is a key, which can be exchanged for a jewel, uh, this is from the book. Quote, the jewels collectively are worth over $10,000. The treasure casks themselves are of incalculable value, having never been owned by man or woman. Uh, so as of 2019, only three of them have been found, mm-hmm. leaving f- nine still out in America, in the U.S., and Canada somewhere. Uh, it's a whole big online community. It's a whole thing, and it's really cool. I highly recommend you check it out.
0: Uh, I would like to add a quick note about geocaching, treasure hunting, etiquette. Okay, please. There is a saying in the geocaching community, cash in, trash out. Oh, yeah. So one of the things that you can do while you are looking for your geocache
1: is pick up trash. Pick up litter, pick up trash. It's, you know, leave it better than you found it. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, so that's gonna do it for us. Thank you so much for joining us. We want to say thank you, of course, to Alex, our researcher, without whom we would not be able to do this. If you have ideas for topics for shows, you can email us schmannerscast at gmail.com. Alex looks at all of those. If we uh, you know, have a topic like this where we need questions, we'll tweet out the request for questions uh at on our Twitter account at Schmannerscast. We want to say thank you to maximumfun.org, our podcast home. You can go there and check out all the other amazing shows. If you want to see all the cool ma- Macroy merch that exists you can go to macroymerch.com. it's all there including our pin of the month which is a really cute Cerebus pin with the three brothers as Cerebus and it benefits the N-A-R-A-L uh, also
0: but- check out this is sausage to me pin is that pen. out now is it it should w- be soon
1: yeah it should be soon we're making a this is sausage to me pin <laughs> that I'm really excited about um, go check that out all that uh the Sawbones book uh, is it available in paperback where good books are sold. Um, let's see. What else do we say, Teresa?
0: We always say thank you to Brent, Floss Black, for writing our theme music, which is available as a ringtone where those are found. Also, thank you to Kayla M. Wassell for our Twitter thumbnail art. Again, that is at SchmannersCast. Thank you to Bruja Betty Pinnett Photography for our cover picture of our fan run facebook group schmanners fanners uh if you love to give and get excellent advice from other fans that's the place to go
1: and uh, i think that's going to do it for us so join us again next week
0: no rsvp required
1: you've been listening to schmanners
0: manner schmanners get it